Today's podcast is the writer's creative journey, and we are live in the writer's studio. I'm your host, Laura Ponticello, the founder of Divine Phoenix Books, award-winning author of The Art of Self-Transformation, A Guide to Awakening, publicist and author coach. Today, we are talking with Kate D. Mahoney, international speaker, activist, and author of The Misfit Miracle Girl, Candid Reflections. Readers share that Kate's ability to connect on a deeply personal level with humor, wit, and a message of what you think and feel matters, you matter, ignites audiences, and offers a connection at a heart-centered space. Welcome, Kate. It's so great to have you on the show today. Thanks, Laura. It's great to be here. I'm, I'm really happy that you decided to have me here. <laughs> today we're talking about one of our favorite topics, creativity. Kate, tell us, what inspires you to write? Everything inspires me. I view the world through story and through theater. And in terms of getting me to pen to paper or keyboard, whatever my writing process is, I find that strong emotions play a big role. So whether I'm extremely joyful or extremely sorrowful, those are the things that really get me to sit down and keep writing whatever happened to me that day or what I witnessed in in a moment. I love what you just said, and I can relate to that too, because if you think about it, a feeling, putting a feeling to a piece of paper or emotion or creating dialogue around that is such an extension of who we are. So when you feel kind of this emotional impact, does it come at any time during the day? Are there certain aspects that you feel more inspired than others? I'm, that's a great question because I think part of the writing process is finding the times of the day or times in your life when focus can be harnessed. And for me, I'm more of a morning person. So I throw open the windows, I listen to the birds, I take in the sunshine and kind of let everything wash over me. But I am also a list maker. So throughout the course of a week, if there's something that's on my mind, I'll jot it down. And then in those morning moments when I'm sitting, I'll look at that list and see where I feel the strongest connection. And it might be something really joyful, like I said, or it might be something sorrowful. It might be something political. And I'll just see where it's going to go. And it doesn't always go far. Sometimes it's a few sentences. Sometimes it's a few pages. I like what you just said about <clears throat> taking that emotional connection that you have, whether it's a few sentences, a paragraph, that there's certain times we feel inspired. What I've heard from other readers is part of the creative process is there's a lot of scraps of paper that they write their <laughs> thoughts on that end up, I won't say in the trash can because as writers, you know, we value our work so right. much. But many times there's piles and piles of streams of consciousness. And eventually when we're really feeling like, wow, this is it. This is this is our thought. This is the moment. Um, I think that's a really kind of cool process. But have you found that there's been aspects of your writing that just when you went back to it said, oh, I don't know about this? Oh, yeah. I mean... Certainly, so much of my life has been, and my story is driven through 
health crisis. Those were kind of the roadblocks along the way. And roadblock really isn't right because ultimately there's a life lesson to be learned and a story to be told. But so much of those things were emotional and intense. And I found the second read through or even the third read through of that material, I needed to infuse back some humor and levity to really make it be authentically me. I'm not a sad and intense person all the time. I'm not balanced. I mean, the writing process is like either euphoria or despair. It's very rarely middle of the road. But absolutely, I mean, there are moments of having to revisit and decide what's what feels true. How do you know when you're in the zone? Oh, gosh, I, I think probably not looking at a clock, um, really getting lost in my process, um, not getting hung up on what the product needs to be, because I find when I focus on what should happen, what I wish would happen, nothing gets done. But when I just hit the stride of saying, this feels good, and one sentence leads to another sentence, which leads to another sentence, and all of a sudden time has no meaning and I'm just in the story, that's when I know. That's so relatable because through my own kind of experience as a writer, it's letting those emotional feelings, the thoughts, the words behind the thoughts just fly out of me and sometimes hours and hours will go by. It's almost like when that door's opened up within me, it has to come out. And if it doesn't come out, I feel almost frustrated by Mm -hmm. it. So it's giving myself permission when that feeling of being in the zone or getting quiet enough that I can listen to those inner voices, those inner thoughts within me. And then I just have to start writing. Do you find that that also happens to you? Absolutely. I mean, I think there are kind of circles of noise that we live in. And when we let the outer circles get loud, the inner circle can't function, if that makes sense. Um, And so really getting quiet. I think quiet is so important now. A lot of writers can function better when they have music or when they have something else that that audible distraction opens things up for them for me I need more quiet so that I can really pay attention to what wants to come from my brain or my wisdom or my heart whatever I'm working on absolutely do you have some writers I know they have a whole like mantra or series of (laughs) things they do to just get prepared to start writing do you do you Um, do that I think (laughs) When, when my writing is most successful and when I think it's going to go somewhere that could impact others, there's less preparation that's as rigid. When I feel, again, when I'm more attached to the product than the process, then yes, I sit at my desk, things are on right angles, everything is moved within a millimeter of one another, my mug is at a certain angle, I make sure I have backup water because I've decided in that moment that I'm going to sit and I'm going to give myself three hours and that's what I have. Now, in those moments, very little gets done. But if I am in a room where all the piles are and the scrap paper and, you know, something's happening in the background and the birds are chirping, but something is driving me to focus, then, you know, all of that order goes right out the window and the story takes over. So let's talk about the story, kind of the narrative voice. How did you find your narrative voice? It took a long time, and you, as my publisher, know that because I came to writing a book without an intention to write a book. I mean, I knew I wanted to write monologues. I knew I wanted to tell my story 
and my background and training is more theatrical. So my first draft or the first few um, pages, I guess, were told in a voice that was intended to be heard and seen, not necessarily absorbed through another reader's internal eyes and ears. So that first voice felt like me, but the feedback was that it was not translatable. It wasn't relatable in any way, really, to people who couldn't see me and couldn't hear me. So obviously then we go into the devastation phase, right? There's the euphoria phase of having written this product and it feels so good and now I'm on my way. And then, okay, this isn't perfection. And over time, I mean, I didn't enter the process thinking of perfection. I think that's kind of a joke, actually. I don't think it applies in a universal way. I think everyone has their own perfection and it changes, Um, not to sidetrack, but I do want to mention that from a creative standpoint. And so then I did all these writing exercises. So I thought, okay, I'm going to follow all these rules and that will provide me the avenue to the voice that I'm supposed to have. And then finally I had to walk away for like a month and just say, this is trash. Nothing is going to come of this. And I was in Colorado on a train in nature, like on the edge of a mountain, looking down at water and rocks. And all of a sudden, I just thought, oh, okay, I think I think I have a different voice now. And it took a lot of time. And when I came back from that trip and I sat down and I started writing again, I was able to tell the same story I've always told, but in a way where I spoon-fed the reader a little more, was more aware of the intel that only I was privy to and how I could expand upon that. And then, you know, again, I'm at the euphoria moment. Okay, I've achieved the voice. And the feedback was like, you're so close, but we're not there yet. So then there goes into despair again. I mean, it's just this crazy process. And ultimately, I think working with great editors, working with a great support staff, having a publisher such as yourself who was aware of the intense emotional experience of writing a book. So not necessarily in that moment, the business side of hitting deadlines and making money and doing all that, but honoring the process of finding the voice that was the most me. And, you know, we had that success because now I have this book. The creative process is such an interesting thing because you hit upon a, a number of different things. First off, we have expectations that we place on ourselves, right? Like I'm going to write the book in this amount of time. Right. My writing style is going to be this. And there's this feeling of, of kind of being exposed, like you're, you're pouring yourself into, you know, the spoken word, so to speak. And I loved when you talked about your experience in Colorado, because I call that expansion energy. And what that means is it's kind of like that moment where something opens up within our being and we're not sure what just happened. We just know that there's a voice now that has to come out of us that was a little bit different Mm -hmm. than before. And also the process of actually birthing a book, I think is like having a baby. Okay. And I, and I say that, and I don't even have kids. (laughs) I say that because of the fact of like, it takes time. It's like this percolation and this gestation period and, and one of the fascinating things is the person 
the woman, the man who starts that writer's journey, the creative process, they've transformed. They're different. Did you right. find that in your journey when you were done or ready for the book to come out versus when you started the book? I think it's funny. I don't feel, I didn't feel different when the book came out. I felt that I had finally gotten back to the person I was before I started writing. Because the expectations, like you said, that I put on myself in that writing process so altered my ability to just listen to myself that once the book came out and I really had time to say, okay, this is something you created from every part of you, not just the part that you started three months ago or two months ago or, or you know, five years ago, but really you've written a memoir in short essays about chapters of your life. So each chapter of your life is part of this. And you knew yourself in those chapters. So this ability to say, okay, I doubted myself and now I'm confident again. And wasn't that a beautiful journey? But I also have to follow up on what you say about birthing the book because from a calendar standpoint, I was in the phase of writing this book and had a couple medical crises which led to me having a hysterectomy. So there were all these other layers of, okay, am I going to be an author? Am I going to be a mother? Am I, you know, all these different things. And my book came out almost nine months to the day from my hysterectomy, which I just thought was hysterical because I was like, well, this, this was the baby I was supposed to have. I mean, this is really every part of me in between a nice little glossy cover. And I think what's so cool is that babies traveling to all these different parts of the world now is your story gets out. I, I have to laugh because <clears throat> as part of sort of coaching and teaching other authors, when I hear about people's approach to writing, it's everything from like breathing exercises to cranking music to quotes that some people use, some people jog ahead of time. And I think the birthing process, it's like, okay, so you've transformed, something's evolved. You have a book, which is an extension of a person. Some people would say it's a product, but then how do you take care of that baby then mm -hmm. afterwards, right? Right, absolutely. And what does that then mean? So that kind of leads me into sort of another topic, which is one of my favorite quotes. It's by Maya Angelou, and it's, you can't use up creativity. The more you use, the more you have. What do you? What does that mean for you, Kate? What do you think that means for other writers? Oh well, I, I mean, I think you have to have a respect for creativity to fully own the magnitude of that quote, because some people view creativity as a flight of fancy, and they can't put it in parameters that make sense for them. You and I are not those people because we think everything. In, we think of creativity as something that has a ripple effect. So we've written books and we had our creative process and that will touch somebody else and they will be inspired and so on and so on and so on. And there's real power in that. But creativity isn't product. Creativity mm -hmm. is process. And you can't create and critique at the same time. So you have to live in a space of knowing that at some point you will have to package that creativity if you want to move it into the marketplace. But if you don't, 
what a lovely thing to be able to access imagination and joy and see things in colors and all of that. I mean, that's the kind of thing that can last a lifetime and really sustain many people in terms of being able to tackle obstacles as long as they can find some sort of creative energy in them. I like what you said about the power of imagination. Like one of my favorite books still is the Dr. Seuss book, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, the places you'll go. Because that book for me was using your imagination Mm -hmm. to envision something. So when we think about Maya Angelou's quote, her, her intention about you can't use of creativity, I think there's a constant expansion energy. You talked about it being like a ripple, but I think when something opens up within ourselves that allows us to self-express, and it could be various forms. It could be art, it could be journaling, it could be creating a garden, but in our case, it's writing stories. It's Mm -hmm. being a storyteller. It takes on a life of its own because in that connection with the reader along the way, they almost help us imagine new possibilities. Mm -hmm. So for me, creativity is unlimited and it's just infinite possibilities of where it could go, the places we could go, the the people we can meet along the way, but it's also our vision of being open to, we don't have a magic answer for Mm -hmm. imagination, right? Right. And if you think about it, like the greatest inventions, they were just trying different things. They, They stuck with it. And I just love that power of imagination. What do you imagine for yourself? Oh, I mean, I joke like world domination and not not in a <laughs> negative way, but just the the possibility that my desire to connect th- with others and use creativity and relationship as the stepping stones to whatever's next. And really, I mean, yes, there are things I want to have, there are places I want to go, there are people I want to connect with, but in the grand scheme of things, forward motion of enjoyable, empowering experiences are the name of the game. And so in terms of imagination, that doesn't have a look, it has a feel. And I want joy, I want peace, I want a lot of laughter. Um, I want honesty. I want honest experiences. And that's all part of, you know, my vision for myself and for my stories. It's what I hope would be the spark for other people. I like when you talk about the spark, because if you think about it, when people come together in dialogue, whatever the occurrence is, it could be two people having a cup of coffee. It could be a mother or father sitting down with their child. It could be an experience as a teacher. But in our case, we're using the spoken word to somehow communicate maybe a message, but there's a feeling, there's a sense that we want other people to be reflective, to use really, I think in your case, your message is so authentic, Kate, about respecting other people's perspective of honoring where they are in their journey. Because if you think about it in our humanness, given our experiences, given why we come into this planet, we all are at a different place, Mm -hmm. but there's this common element. We're all human. 
And we all possess different level of feelings. So one of the things I love, at least being a witness to where I've seen your book and the power of your message, it's asking people to come together to share some level of a common dialogue. You can have total different belief systems, but in that imagining a space where maybe there is a peaceful practice, imagining a space where people can say, hey, I've been wounded, but guess what? I'm going to share my story with somebody else and that spark of creation energy is going to happen. So we're not here today to solve world hunger while we <laughs> respect the fact that in our own communities, in our own ways, but I think writers in general, they have a voice they're trying to share and there's a consciousness, I think, that we're trying to show in the support of creativity. What do you think about that? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, again, you and I are in a genre of storytelling. So that's not about researching hard facts. That is about getting to the heart of the matter. And, and I can go back to some of my theater roots. I remember doing an exercise and I don't know what the formal name of it was, but there were two actors and we were asked to be at a bus stop. And you go, the two actors go through a conversation that basically is figuring out something about each other only to ultimately find out the connection between the two of them and something about themselves. And it's very organic. And I think that's the storytelling process too. Because if you're going to take two characters, how do we identify characters just kind of generically? Well, we have labels, tall, short, dark, light. Um, then we get into angry, happy. What are the demeanors? And then all of a sudden, you leave these two characters in a space long enough, and you can get to lonely. And then you want to find out where that depth comes from. And all of a sudden, you have two people who have both in their life either experienced great joy or great loss, because everything kind of comes from fear or love, right? And that's where the decisions then become even more specific. And so again, I'm using my theater training because that's what informed me as a writer. But in terms of my own story, am I telling the story from a place of love? Am I telling it from a place of fear? How are we going to expand upon these? And at the end of the day, I think it's my storytelling is about, as you said, the commonality. It's not about what the experience was necessarily. It's about any experience can have an emotion attached to it. And nine times out of 10, two people, four people, nine people will have experienced that emotion, even though the circumstances were different. And that's a point of connection, which is great. I think stories connect us at such a deep level, whether it's from a personal reflection standpoint, whether it's a book club where they pick a book and they're mm -hmm. sharing stories. And if you think about stories that have the power to create narratives, right? To create right. dialogues. I definitely think your book is one of those. But I also think what has been your experience as you're meeting with readers on the road, as you're connecting with all different segments of the population, how has this creative spark sort of prepared you or not prepared you for that? That's a great question. Um, I, I will go back to what you referenced earlier, which is the word expectation. And I think I have learned that the expectations I set for myself are far more pragmatic 
So it's not about how many people come or what they say necessarily. It's that my expectation is that I'm going to show up and be as present as possible. And whoever else comes to hear me speak or ask questions about my story, it's about honoring that and not getting much beyond that. But it's been really cool to hear that a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life tell me they sat down and they thought maybe they'd read a few pages and they couldn't put it down. And they'll tell me that something on every in every chapter reminded them, maybe not every chapter, that's probably dramatic, but um, at least a few points in the book gave them or ignited something in them that then they valued that previously they didn't think was important or they stifled or they pushed away because we live in a world where we just tell ourselves to keep going, keep going, keep going. And I think unintentionally and partially intentionally, I wanted people to be able to take my story and hit pause in their own life and go to that internal place and say, oh, okay, that gives me something to think about in my own life. And by extension, that I really am of value. I am, I do matter. And isn't that cool? And maybe I'm not going to put it on a bumper sticker or run out into the street screaming, I matter. But I have started as of today, believing a little part of myself more than I did before I read the book. I love this theme of I matter, because if you think about it in society, we are always running from place to place because we, I don't want to use the word burden, but we have such high expectations of ourselves Mm -hmm. and others. And in the simplicity of just being present, one of the things that stood out that you just said to me is how you really try to be present, independent of the numbers of people that show Mm -hmm. up. And I think what happens is that many writers set out where they just want to connect with their readers Mm -hmm. in whatever way, but there are expectations that publishers have. There are expectations that, you know, we're the hardest critic of ourselves. And ultimately, this really comes to a question, what piece of advice would you have for another writer on the journey as they're going out connecting with other people or birthing their own story? Um, I think there's a, there's a lot of advice to give at different chapters. So if you don't mind, I'm going to give two. Perfect. If you're new and you're writing, I, I will repeat, you can't create and critique at the same time. It's just not, it's not a viable, sustainable thing to read a sentence and then throw a bunch of judgment at it. You have to let that sentence lead to the next one. And that, that may mean that you go back and you delete everything and start over again. But if the judgment voice is louder than the creative voice, it's going to hinder the process and it's going to start breaking down all the other parts of you in terms of your spirit and your voice and your power. And we all have a lot of power that we don't give ourselves credit for. So there's that. And then in terms of getting to a place where there is a, is a product and you have a book, my advice that I give to myself on a daily basis is you're never going to have a first book and a first book tour and a first experience with this again. So always access the joy to the best of your ability. And like you said, it doesn't mean 
that we don't have the expectations for business and marketplace. I mean, all those things have major value and it's how we keep moving as authors and creative people in the business community. But without joy and without humor and without that kind of confidence, I mean, really, what's the point? And I think the aspect of finding fun in in the whole process, you know, you're done writing the book, you're you're trying to connect with different people and you get like a random email Mm -hmm. or someone stops you at the supermarket and says, Hey, I wrote your book, and you're kind of looking around, saying, oh "My God, are they t- are they talking to me?" And then you realize, "Oh my God, they're talking, mm-hmm. they're talking to me." And then they quote something from your book, and you're thinking to yourself, "Oh my God, they actually read the book." Yeah. And then they say, "Thank you so much for writing the book," and you say to yourself, "Oh my God, wow, someone actually read the book. <laughs> I think I'll write another book." <laughs> Right. No, the first time I saw quotes in my book on Facebook, I was reading it and I was like, oh, wow, that's a really nice quote. And then I was like, wait a minute. Oh, my gosh, that's my quote. Am I allowed to be so excited that someone put my quote out there? Like, is that arrogant? Is it egotistical to say, you know, that I'm so proud of it? But no, I mean, the pride is not so much about the quote. It's that something resonated with another human being. And I was I played a small role in letting somebody else, you know, tap into something that meant so much to them. And again, I know. I had seven different people in my life just a couple months ago call me and they were at different milestones of medical crisis, very different experiences for each person. And they all said to me, I'm so glad I had your book before this happened. And I never in a million years could I have known that a whole book could have been something that would elevate someone else or propel them through potentially a tragedy that they never thought they could survive. So yeah, I mean, it's it's all great. I think that's the power of a story. And it's not just a singular story. There's a collection of stories that exist out in the world. And in this story, even if you get one phrase, one word, one spark that gets you to think a little bit different about something or provides some level of common connection or empowers you, to say, wow, I can get through today. I think that's why books, of course, mm-hmm. are the most amazing things. Right. We want to escape. We want to be entertained. We want to explore. I mean, the book, that's what books do. That's what story does. Absolutely. So do you think you have, as part of your storytelling, do you have a sense of a creative muse that lives inside of you? <laughs> I want to say it's the alter ego of Kate, but something that you just know that this is your life's purpose. Uh, I have an inner peace that has arrived in my life and is with me always since this book came out. And I, so I don't know that it has a name um, or that it even has an image. It's again, I go back to feeling this kind of centered space of human condition. So, okay, yeah, my muse is human condition. And that changes depending on who I talk to in a given day, depending on what I read in the news, depending on a book that I might be reading. And something just ignites in me that makes me think, okay, now I'm going to continue with my voice and put what touched me into my own words in hopes that it touches someone else. One of the things I respect greatly about you and your ability to be relatable, Kate, 
is the essence of the human condition. Like you're, you're telling through the power of your own voice in a, in a narrative way, this human condition you're talking about, you're not labeling it. You're actually in a way saying, Hey, through these experiences that kind of were mistakes, misfits, whatever, that's how I kind of grew along the way. And I love the title of your book, The Misfit Miracle Girl, Candid Reflections. So how can people connect more? How can they learn more about this wonderful, beautiful book that you've written? Well, thank you. My book is available um, at Barnes & Noble and Amazon online. And in stores, I will be doing a series of events probably the rest of the year at different Barnes & Nobles and bookstores. And then my website, which is just katedmahoney.com. People can also connect with Kate on social media um, at Kate D. Mahoney or the Misfit Miracle Girl? Uh, yes, Facebook would be the Misfit Miracle Girl. That's my page for Facebook. And Misfit Miracle Girl at Misfit Miracle Girl for Twitter. Um, I do have an Instagram account. That's not super exciting yet because once I start traveling, I'll be posting more images. So Kate's on a Bring Kate to Your Hometown Tour. And if you'd love to learn more about her, check her out on her social media and website. It's been so wonderful to have this creative dialogue today. And we love to spark conversations. You can learn more at Divine Phoenix Books, as well as this podcast will be available on iTunes, SoundCloud. And if you like the podcast, please help us out. Share, review, get your friends talking about it, because we're on a journey to spark really an ignite to help others reimagine and to also ensure that we all come together in the spirit of what I call love and light. Thanks everybody for joining us. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Laura.